Well, welcome to Flipside. I appreciate you being here. We're in part two of this series called The Worst Christmas Ever. I want to again welcome our online family in Flipside South Valley and Flipside Rapid City. They oftentimes send me pictures of them joining us online uh, after our service is all over. It's kind of neat to, uh, to have that opportunity. Let me ask you this question as, we, as I, I set up this message. Have you ever been asked to do a task that you felt was too difficult a task for you to do? Yeah? I, I was thinking about what it was like back in the day. You know you're old when you start thinking about back in the day. I remember back in the day having to drive cross country without GPS, without Google Maps, without Waze. I, I, I remember back in the day having to use paper maps. I, do you remember Thomas Guides? The big, thick booklet? And you can, yeah. I remember back in the day having to make trips without mom and dad knowing your location every moment of the day, how fast you're driving and who you're with. I wonder if we went back to the day, if those tasks would be too difficult for some to accomplish. I know we've all been in tough spots. I know back in the day what it was like to have to go to school full-time and work full-time. I remember what it was like to be in a tough spot back in the day when the first car wasn't nice. It was actually an old jalopy. I, I remember back in the day the tough spots that some of us were in where we actually get this, had to participate and not get a trophy. I remember back in the day. I'm thinking back to generations before millennials. Back when you had to pay back student loans you took out. I remember back in the day. There's no doubt we get into times that are pretty tough and some more difficult than others. In the Christmas story, it's not only Mary that was in a tough spot. Before she realized what God was doing, she's in a tough spot. But it's not just her. Often overlooked is Joseph. See, Joseph doesn't get much press in the Christmas story. Most people, and I understand, center on Mary. Joseph gets overlooked. And I guess that should be the case. When a woman gives birth, maybe she should get top billing in that process. But there's also a man involved at some level. And Joseph was in a very tough spot. And for Joseph, before he understood what God was doing, for him, I guarantee you, it was the worst Christmas ever. Now think about this for a moment. How did Joseph find out Mary was pregnant? Anybody? An angel? Are you sure? Well, I'll tell you this. We don't know how he found out. The Bible doesn't tell us how Joseph found out. Let's not make assumptions about what the Bible says. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. We don't know how Joseph found out Mary was pregnant. The story just picks up with him knowing. In Matthew chapter 1, while they were engaged, he learned of her pregnancy. We don't know how. We can make some assumptions, make some best guesses, and we will. But in ancient times, Jewish engagements lasted at least a year. There was a lot of planning to do, a lot of family obligations, responsibilities of betrothal. Marriage was a binding contract. And an engagement was as binding as marriage. It was a legal contract. And so when a couple was engaged for that entire year, they were considered married. And the only way out of that engagement was literally by divorce. Now we get the chronology of Joseph's knowledge of Mary's pregnancy from Matthew 1. But it comes after the angelic visitation of Mary informing her of her pregnancy that we read about in Luke 1. So let's not think that because Matthew in the Bible comes before Luke, that's how it chronologically happened. Mary was visited by an angel, told what God had, was, was planning on doing and had done in Luke 1. In Matthew 1, in the Bible, that comes before Luke 1, but chronologically it did not. Then... Joseph finds out, decides to divorce her, and is visited in a dream by an angel. So perhaps, once Mary in Luke 1 was told what was to happen, and her role in God's kingdom and economy, goes to Joseph and musters the courage to tell Joseph what had happened that we read about in Matthew 1. And that's why in Matthew 1 we read, she was found to be pregnant. Probably because she told Joseph about it. And with that information, Joseph hearing that his wife, engaged wife, was pregnant, chooses to divorce Mary and to get out of that engagement. While Joseph was enacting his legal rights according to the law for adultery, see, the, 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 
the Mosaic law gave, gave room for divorce, Deuteronomy 24, in this specific case, when a woman, an engaged woman, was found to be displeasing in some way, the husband to be could divorce her. He was in his legal right to divorce her and get separation from her. And while he chose that course, he chose to do it in a way that didn't bring shame on Mary. So according to the law, he could make it public. He could write a certificate of divorce. He could present it to the powers that be and send her out to her great shame and discredit. But verse 19 tells us in Matthew 1, yet Joseph was not willing to expose her to public shame. When I was looking at this, at this passage and considering Joseph's part in the Christmas story, this, star, this had to have been the worst Christmas ever for him. Right? And he decides, I'm going to do what is right and just, and I'm going to separate myself from you. I have the legal right to do that. Yet, I will enact my legal right. Yet, not in a way that will draw attention to you. Not in a way that will shame you. And I started thinking about this. Whenever there's a desire to destroy, we got to find it yet. Whenever there's a desire to destroy because we're hurt, because we're, we're frustrated, because we're angry, because we've been let down, because someone has done something. Whenever there's that desire to, we got to find a yet. Whenever there's a desire, that little mother. Do you know how many posts would not have been posted had we found a yet before we hit post? Do you know how many texts would not have been sent if we had stopped and found a yet? As I was thinking about this man, Joseph. Joseph was chosen. Because Joseph knew that we must not use the word of God to unlove people God loves. See, Christian, like church people are great at this, using the Bible to unlove people God loves. Well, the Bible says, Joseph found it yet. And though you and I may have the right to level penalty and punishment, yet, we can choose to be merciful in the midst of righteousness. You feel me? Now, because Joseph was righteous, he was a righteous man, the Bible says. That means he was a man of justice. He stood in this, in this precarious position, being torn between rightness and mercy. And in the middle of standing in the tension between rightness and mercy, he chose to lean towards mercy. And he chose to protect Mary from very perilous publicity. Can you imagine how they had social media back then? 
Why didn't he expose? Once he found out, he knows he's not the daddy. He finds out she's pregnant. He had the right to make it known. A more little translation of Joseph's decision is this, that he had the right to literally expose her and he had the right to publish and publicize her situation. That was his right. That's the instruction in the law. See, but Joseph knew. Giving grace to the person takes precedent over leveling the law against them. It doesn't negate the law. But it takes precedent over the destruction of the person. You know, I was thinking about this man, Joseph. I was looking at this, and the Bible says he was a righteous man. He was a just, he was a righteous man. That's what that word just means. Which means he knew the scriptures. One cannot be righteous and just and not know the scriptures. Matter of fact, I want you to understand this, so I put it on a slide. A man cannot be righteous and not be a man of the word. A man cannot be righteous and not be a man of the word. You can't be righteous and not be. Like, you've got to get it be in the, in the word. And, and in that case, because, because Joseph was a righteous man, he knew the scriptures. Which meant he knew the prophecy that the angel had just told him. He knew Isaiah 7.14. He knew the word of God because he was a righteous man. And you can't be a righteous man and not, be, and not know the word of God. And he knew, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a what? A virgin. Well, what? Will conceive and will bear a son. And what will you call him? Emmanuel. He knew the scripture because he was a righteous man. He was familiar with the prophecy. And so perhaps, because Joseph loved Mary, in the midst of for him what started out as pain, Joseph chose to think the best about Mary and decided in his mind, Mary is not the character of woman that would do something like that outside of marriage. I hope something else is going on. And perhaps he thought in his mind, in the back of his mind, I doubt this is the case, but could it be? Because I know the prophecy. Could it be that God is doing something unique in this situation? Though I have the right to enact the divorce, I got to tread lightly and I got to do it with great mercy and grace because who knows what God is doing in her, through her, and with her. And so I will lead, even in righteousness, I will lead with mercy and grace. See, not having any confirmation before this point, only suspicion, based on believing the best about the one he loves, because he knew what Paul would tell us, that love always hopes and always believes. He decided to divorce her, because he was righteous, and that's what the law said, but he would do it quietly and not level the law against her. Because perhaps in Joseph's mind, Joseph thought, if God has chosen her, then God 
will take care of her. And I need not add any difficulty to her. And I was thinking about Joseph and I thought him being a man of of justice and righteousness, which means he was a man who knew scriptures. And, and And I thought of this, that no matter how much we want to get right, if we don't know the word, we won't get right. No matter how much we may want to get right, if we don't know the word, we won't get right. If you don't know Romans 10 too, you ought to. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God. They got a lot of want to, but not according to knowledge. They also got a lot of ignorance. They got a lot of want to. They got a zeal for God without knowledge. Here's what hit me. Passion does not make up for ignorance. (laughs) Passion doesn't make up for ignorance. There are a lot of people. I mean, not in our church. There are a lot of people that want to get right and do right, but don't know the word. A lot of people. Oh, I love God. I don't know the last Bible verse I memorized, though. Oh, no, no, I love, me and Jesus are good. Do I read his word every day? No. But we're good. They got a zeal for God. Ain't got no knowledge. Passion doesn't make up for ignorance. If we're ignorant of the Word of God, regardless of our passion, we cannot stay right with God. Why? Because the Bible says, your Word is a light to my feet, it's a lamp to my path. Your Word. How does a young man keep his way pure? According to your Word. Doesn't matter how much we want to. Doesn't matter how much we desire. Doesn't matter how much we say we love God. Like It's according to His Word that we actually understand? I look at this man, Joseph. I think like him, I got a tattoo, God's word on my heart. I got a tattoo it in my mind. Because what I know is my best effort and my best passion mixed with ignorance does not equal godliness. And if that's true for me, it's true for you. Your best effort and your best passion mixed with ignorance of God's Word does not equal godliness. No amens for that one? Let me move on. So perhaps there's also something going on here. Perhaps Joseph is both full of justice and righteousness And also merciful. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, God's given us a picture of the Heavenly Father. God is completely full of righteousness and just He is also completely merciful and gracious. Like, and, And God's mercy and grace does not negate His righteousness and justice. 
Now, thankfully, God's poured the wrath of his justice and righteousness on sin, on Jesus, on the cross. So Jesus bore all that. That's why Paul could say, those who are in Christ, therefore, there's no condemnation for those in Christ because Jesus has bore all of that. Because God's mercy and his grace, he doesn't hold those against us if we're in Christ. However, he still holds sin to the standard of justice and righteousness. And for those outside of Christ, though God is right, is merciful and justice to level all that against Christ on the cross. If you're outside of Christ, guess who gets to bear the full measure of his righteousness and justice against sin? And, and so maybe, maybe Joseph is giving us a picture of the righteousness and justice of God as well as the mercy and grace of God. Or perhaps consider this, and this is what, in my a very humble opinion, this is what I think is really going on in Joseph's mind. Perhaps Joseph thought about Isaiah 7.14, that this virgin will be, will conceive at the, the Holy Spirit's power and give birth to a son. And perhaps Joseph, when Mary came and told him that that's how it went down, he really believed the story that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And may, this is what I choose to think. Maybe Joseph wanted to divorce Mary quietly because he understood that truly this child in her room was of the Holy Spirit. And with that understanding, being a man, I understand he probably felt an overwhelming sense of his own unworthiness and inadequacies to play the role of the foster father of the Son of God. Think about it for a moment. If you're a man who is a daddy, you know what it's like to look back and to think, if only I would have with my children, if, if only I, could, I would do, I would do some things different. If only I could go back there's some things I live with that I would do. There are things, and I'm not saying this isn't true for, 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 for mom. I know it's true for dads. There's enough insecurity and regret and desires for do-overs with our kids. That sometimes it makes it hard to be comfortable with all that we've done in the role of a father. And 
And I suspect for Joseph, no, he knows his own, he knows his own, his own hurts, habits, and he knows who he is as a man. And he was a humble man. And I suspect somewhere in Joseph, he didn't consider himself worthy to play the role of the foster father of the Messiah. When born of the Holy Spirit. You dads think about it for a minute. Can you imagine? The regrets or the do-overs that you wish you had with your... Can you imagine having those about the Messiah? I mean, besides that, think about it was for Joseph to be married to chosen Mary. I mean, we talked about how up to this point, she was the only one that God used the words, his favorite. And now you got to be married to God's favorite? <laughs> I mean, you already got a mother-in-law who's chirping at you because she knows you're not good enough for her baby girl. But now you got God's favorite? I mean, how does a man live with and love and fight and make up with someone that holy. How can a man feel comfortable living with such a holy? I mean, you would just, uh, you're right, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm sorry, you're right. I'm, I mean, like every husband should do, but he would actually mean it. To wed, marry, and assume responsibility to be the foster father of the Messiah and to be the husband of God's first favorite? It's got to be at least a little intimidating. See, guys, I understand what it is to know yourself. And what it is to know the worst of yourself. And you do too. And you know, as I do, how difficult it is sometimes to lay your head on the pillow and be comfortable with who you are and sleep well. And I know as you do, guys, sometimes how difficult it is to look in the mirror and be happy and joyful and content with who we are. And I know what it is to feel inadequate To not measure up and to see in the eyes of those you love a desire I wish you would. And the truth is, oftentimes, as a man, we just go with it. 
I can handle it. I'll be all right. I'll get this done. Sometimes we don't mind being an island because it's easier. I can suck it up. I've got broad shoulders, a strong back. And all the while knowing sometimes children and wives' ears are not tuned to hear the cries of a man. I imagine all this is going through Joseph's mind. I mean, what God has called him to, who would want it? And as I was thinking about this about Joseph and the extreme inadequacies that he had to have felt, I thought, how good is God? Because here's what I know about God, that God will put in a man what the man needs for the task that God's given him. We may start as inadequate. We may start as incapable. But when God shows up, see, this is how God works, and I love this about my God. God will start with a man who is unworthy and inadequate so that God can make the man worthy and adequate. So it starts as the worst ever when God gets involved. And with this understanding, as I read this account in Matthew 1, with this understanding, I think maybe the angel's words, Mary is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Take her home. Be a husband to her. Maybe his words to Mary are not in order to clear Mary of wrongdoing and infidelity. Perhaps the angel's words are so that Joseph will know as well that he too has been chosen and determined adequate for the assignment. Joseph, she is special, and what's going on with her is completely unique unto all creation, but you are the chosen man, and in and of yourself, you don't have what it takes, and you're completely inadequate, but I have chosen you, and because I've chosen you, I'll make you worthy and adequate. See, before God shows up, this was going to be the worst Christmas ever. Before God showed up, There was no way he could walk the path that was before him. But after God shows up, he's the guy that turns mourning into dancing. After God shows up, he's the one that makes a way where previously there had been no way. And God put Joseph in a situation that was so far beyond his ability, his makeup, and his potential. Don't ever talk about potential. Don't ever talk about becoming the fullest. Don't ever, don't ever talk about potential. Talk about call. God didn't place you on earth with potential. He placed a call within you on this earth. And God's call is far beyond your potential. You want to settle for potential? You'll always settle for short. Don't think about your potential. Don't talk about your Don't encourage, encourage call. The call of God. He will always put His people in positions that are far beyond their own ability. Far beyond their own potential. Don't fall victim to the misunderstanding of God's Word. And I hear people say this all the time. 
I hear him say stuff like this. God will never give you more than what you can handle. That is a lie from the devil. Of course God will give you more than what you can handle. Like this is his specialty. He always gives us more than we can handle. How else are his people ever going to rely on him and learn reliance? How else will you ever learn to rely on his mercy and his power and his grace? How else if not to put you in positions that are far beyond your ability? Now what the Bible does say is God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. And will even with that temptation give you a way out that you can handle it so that you and I are without excuse. But God will always, definitely, will give you more than you can handle without Him, so that we learn to draw close to Him and rely on Him. And just ask Mary, just ask Joseph, ask anybody in the Bible through whom God did incredible. It was always because God put them in a position that was far beyond themselves. So there we get a revelation of who God is. So if you're looking at the worst ever, whatever that is, if what's before you is beyond your own ability to handle and to navigate, God may have allowed, He, he, he may have allowed, He's definitely with you in it. So that you will learn what it is to draw close to Him. He'll allow you those positions to learn a new reliance upon Him. He'll allow you those opportunities to learn a new level of seeking Him. To learn a new depth of trusting Him. Of course it'll be beyond you. Because God is with you. And so let me wrap this up. How do we respond? like Joseph, in the worst ever. Real quick. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved her divorce quietly. Here's what I know. Joseph was righteous. And, and, and if we're going to respond to the worst ever in a way that draws us to Christ and invites him in to create something beautiful out of the worst, the first thing is this. What righteous is, it begins by living in line with what you know of God. Just whatever that is, with what you know of God and know of God, just begin living in line with that. See, at this point, Joseph didn't know what God was doing. Joseph didn't know what God was lying. Joseph didn't know how God was setting up the dominoes. All he knew is that in this scenario, the Bible says this. So that's what I'm going to do. That's all he knew. And at this point, what he knew was the law. Now he would grow in his knowledge and application of mercy and grace. And as he grew in the knowledge and application of it, he would live it. But he just lived according to what he already knew. Do you understand that? So whatever it is you know of God, God's heart, God's character, God's ways, whatever you know of God's word, just begin living in line with that knowledge. That's what it is to be righteous. Okay, but, but understand, verse 9 also says, being a just man, and literally yet, 
unwilling to put her to shame. Whatever you know of God's ways, make mercy and grace the starting point. Make mercy and grace the starting point. I know what the Bible says. And I'm going to marry that with what I know of God's mercy and grace. See, though what Joseph knew was the law, he started with mercy and grace. He didn't level the law against Mary. He treated her before he understood what was going on with an incredible degree of mercy and grace and protected her as much as possible. So whatever you know of the word of God, whatever you know of God, start from the position of mercy and grace. Does that make sense? And so, even in the worst of it, I'm going to do what the Bible says. And I'm going to have my starting point, mercy and grace, before... And then, I love this. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife. But he didn't know her until she had given birth to his son. He called his name Jesus. I was, just let me say this as a side note. He didn't know her. We know what that means, right? Yeah, I, I got a lot of Catholic friends and I love them, but this is, uh, this is another thing that they get wrong. I, like they believe in the, in the perpetual virginity of, of Mary and it, it wasn't so. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Like we don't have to protect Mary from the Bible. She, she's, she's good. But none of that happened after she gave, and then after she gave birth, they named him Jesus. Here's what I love. Joseph changed direct, changed course. On a dime. Here's what we learn. Do as God directs when God directs. All Joseph do is what the Bible says, what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be merciful and gracious. And then he gets this word from God about what God's doing, and he changes everything. You, you notice what he didn't do. He didn't call his buddies. Hey, can we, I, I got to talk to you about something. He, he didn't put it out there on, on social chat about, hey, this guy, what do you think I should? He didn't ask the church to pray about it. He didn't go talk to his pastor. Like, this is what God said. I'm going to do as God directs the moment God directs. See, there may be delay in obedience in believers' lives, those who believe in God. But there can be no delay in obedience in Christ's followers' lives. So the question is, am I a believer or am I a follower? If I'm a follower, once God says, I do. So the big question in the midst of the worst ever, what is God's directive? What has God said? What do you do? Jesus, is that the answer? I don't know. Let me give you a hint. Romans 12, verses 10 through 21. 
You ready? Here's God's directive. But it's the worst ever. Here's God's directive. But I never thought of, here's God's directive. But you don't, here's God's directive. But they, here's God's directive. But this, here's God's directive. You ready? We get to choose. We're going to be a believer or a follower. Believers are going to read this and think, ah, some of it. Followers are going to say, okay. Here's God's directive. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Contribute, that means be generous to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them or post about them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be hearty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far it depends on you. Live peaceably with everybody. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, go on and feed them. If they're thirsty, give them some to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here's God's directive. Outdo one another and show love to people. Keep fervently Serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be generous with what you got. Be empathetic to what other people are going through. Bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another as much as you can. Don't think of yourselves better than somebody else. Repay no one evil for evil, post for post, text for text. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God and overcome evil people with good. That's the directive. Easy enough, right? No. Not easy enough. Why would God give us something that's beyond our ability to do? Can you say full circle? To put us in positions. Because this is so far beyond me. Because this is not how I've responded in the past. Because I have done everything the opposite of this. I cannot do this. Exactly. That's why you must draw close to him. Because when he shows up, he changes everything. Go on with yourself and respond how you normally do. And it'll be the worst ever. You invite Jesus in. And He does great things. So if you're in the midst of the worst ever, you may be there. 
so you can learn to draw close to him. She can learn a new reliance and receive a new strength and a new mercy and a new grace. Because when he gets involved, he does great things. Pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've chosen us. Thank you that you desire to be ours and your desire for us is to choose you. Father, some of us are in the seasons of the worst ever. And we're looking at those seasons thinking, God, that you have put me in a place, you've allowed, there's no way I can. And you say exactly the point. There's no way you can. God, Mary, you walked Mary, you escorted her into this moment and there was no way she could. And you brought Joseph to the, and there's no way he could. But as they both draw close to relied on you, you did. And you made what may have started as the worst ever into the best that the world has ever known. And so, Father, we're inviting you in, the, in this moment in our worst ever. Rather than kicking against it and asking why and wanting reasons and explanations, we draw close to you and ask you to give us a peace that passes understanding. Knowing that you have called us to something that is beyond us, trusting that you will enable within us your power and your mercy and your grace because without it, we're sunk. Father, as we draw close to you, submit to you, we trust that you will do what only you can do, that you will do the great things. We worship for you because you do great things. We bow before you because you do great things. We lift up your name because you do great things. You are the great and the almighty God. Apart from you, we could do nothing. But with you, you do great things. And so in the midst of what may be the worst ever, all we invite you to step in and do great things. You did it through Joseph. You did it through Mary. Father, you're the same God today that you were then. We invite you to the same today that you did then and do great things. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.